welcome to the Remote Work Drive podcast with your host, Jessica Malnick. Stay tuned to learn how to manage remote teams that are effective, collaborative, and happy. So I'm Nadezianye Wunam, Senior Content Marketing Manager for UserGems, a Series A, B2B SaaS Series A startup. And um, I, I kind of believe that storytelling is key to what we do in B2B content. And I feel like that's what drives every single thing I do, every single way I approach, uh, you know, our content creation, both for myself and for the business I work with. Cannot agree more with you about storytelling being the kind of foundation, one of the foundational pillars in marketing, especially in B2B. And it's not always as utilized as it probably should be in B2B. Can you recount... And into like the most interesting or the most captivating story that you've seen, doesn't matter if it's B2C or B2B in the last month or two. In the last month or two. Let me see. I think, I think, I think one really interesting one I've seen, and it's, it's, um, it kind of, it, I, when I explain why I think it's interesting, it's probably going to talk more about how I begin to see where, I mean, maybe in B2B content, it doesn't exactly fit in, or we need to find a way to think about how to fit it in. But so I have this friend of mine, I'm part of this group called the Creators Kitchen, um, where basically it's just creators coming and like creators coming to do work with, with the, the pitches, come do work that matters. So it's like a community, you know, a cohort sort of thing. And there's this body of mine in there who's making something called the Outdoor Outlier. And he talks about the, he's literally just like a docuseries where he's, he spends a day or spends some time with People who outdoor people who are outdoorsy. So he had an episode where they are with a hunter, someone who likes to hunt game, you know, that sort of thing. And but I found it so interesting because more often than not, I get the sense that journalism, content, everything, you know, I need to to compress everything down to pithy short sentences, you know. We tend to lose the nuances and the different shades of gray that are the human nature. And so that way, we still tell good stories, but it just sort of feels like those stories are canned. And so why I love that was because, you know, you get to see that there are different sides to this thing, you know, the outdoorsy thing. There's, oh yeah, people who argue that these folks are not, are destroying the environment. But they're also, you know, when you now watch it, you know, when you watch someone who's in it, spending time in that, and you watch that story, it's a human story. You, you get sucked into their world and you start to see the different perspectives. And then it's up to you to decide that, you know, make a call. But, you know, a lot of the thing, a lot of the content we see out there, just almost kind of is forced to take one perspective. And I understand it's not easy to do, you know, which is why I say it's going to come back to YB2B in the end. It's not easy to achieve that where you, you know, where you try to pull out different nuances. But I feel like I want to spend the rest of my, the rest of my career in whatever I do, just kind of exploring how do you even just tell better stories, even if it's a B2B piece of work like that allows the, the buyer to make a call because you're able to pull out the different nuances without trying to sound, trying to pick one angle and hammer it to death. Yeah, absolutely. Storytelling is a skill set that, I mean, is so important and it's so easy to, I feel like almost get become overlooked. What are some of the ways for, say, a marketer listening to this podcast right now who maybe isn't well-versed in storytelling or wants to get better at it or sometimes gets lost in it. You have things like actionable tips that have helped you to kind of get back into the mindset of telling better stories. 
Yeah, I think I think one of the first things I'll tell someone to do, and I, I and I, I feel like I'm pitching Jay Akunzo a lot here. He's the one who runs the Creator Kitchen, but I think just follow just someone should just follow him and sign up for his content. I think he does give some really good tips, and I think the one that has been like a guy, nothing, not star for me in recent times is resonance over reach. You know, like yes, we need reach, but you know when you start thinking of your stories as how do you create resonance. I feel like that then everything starts to fall into place. You know, all the templates and all the hacks and every single thing, all the, the hero's journey, all those things we see, they're, they're all good. I mean, they're great to have, but it, it all goes back to like, are you resonating with your audience? And just sitting back to ask that question now leads you to what's your premise? What's the premise of, your, of whatever you're working on? What's the premise of the article? Like, why does this article matter? And, and, it, it all falls into place where it all starts to add to the, the conversation around, okay, how do you tell stories that, are, that matter to people, that matter to your audience, that connect with your audience? And so like all those things that like just go into, once you go back there for me, like just go back to those basics. Every other thing, the, the, the templates, like and a lot of people, are, the templates all, are useless if you don't if, if you can't answer are you resonating do you know are you just does your content connect like does it matter to them or all you're doing is just pouring out blogs and videos because you can you know you are so speaking my language right now where it's all about resonance is so much more important and it's almost like hey all of those growth hacks and templates and you know, quick wins don't really matter if you don't actually understand the fundant foundations of your brand and yeah. what your customers are actually, you know, need from your product or service. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's like I get, I mean, you know, you know, we have limited budgets. Um, we have goals to hit, we have investors to attend to, we have stakeholders that matter. And so somehow we have to straddle a very fine line between playing the game for the stakeholders and also playing the game for the audience. But, you know, it's almost like if you think about it from like in the long term, what matters? And in the long term, do you want us to be playing this game? Or are you just doing this now because you want to serve the stakeholders' short-term interest? When the long term serves everybody, then you now, just thinking of it that way allows you to do the hard work of saying, okay, what do I do? How do I, you know, how do I find a way to, appease the, the stakeholder right now and from there move forward to creating the work that matters because if not i think in the, in the end everyone suffers for it and someone has to be able to stand up and say it's hard it's not easy again i say it's not easy like i'm not i'm not even bold enough to say how i feel about certain certain stories i want i work on but i'm like okay it's hard it's hard and we're just saying hey like how can we approach this better and how can we do it in such a way that we create content that that works for what is intended for. Yeah, absolutely. And kind of diving in a little bit deeper into something you need to share there, which is needing to like satisfy both kind of the short-term goals of your boss or your boss's boss and investors while alongside kind of the long-term goals that do benefit everyone. You have these strategies where you've been able to kind of effectively manage up and be able to kind of balance both of those in a way that serves both needs very well. Hmm. So, I mean, I don't know if I'm perfect at this, but I think what I've, what I've found most success with is just kind of saying to myself, like, 
asking my boss like what are the big like, what are the biggest things we need to solve for now you know asking more harder questions about the business goals you know and then once you start to get a sense of what are the business goals what are the things that she's he, he or she or they are worried about at that point in time then you now start saying to yourself okay so that means that my from my content strategy point of view i need to i need to answer i need it to solve 30 percent x solving some of those goals or 60% solving the long the goals that are a must do now. And then 20% solving for those long-term goals and then another 20% for an experiments that can show, show the fact that the long-term goals are worth it. You know, because you know, with these kind of things like, yo, for example, so it's when, like, for example, when I joined user gems, and like there was really not, there was not, we had no content. Like we had content, but, there was no strategy. It was just a blog. And so the first thing I did was that basically I worked on a very buyer-focused mid-funnel piece, you know. And that piece has been producing leads for a long time since we published it. But basically, it was like that was if that was like the first get this going, get this get get this engine running. But then long term, it was basically the next thing I started doing was okay. No, I'm not going to create SEO content. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go ask our people what they need, what they're scared of, what they're looking for, you know, just find out the fundamentals and then start building content towards that. And then in the end, going back to that, that, that thing of saying, what are the to set, satisfy short-term goals? Once we start creating the content that was built around our audience, what I started looking for was what, what, what SEO signals is this content given of? What does Google even understand? How does Google understand my content at this point in time? Once I understood what Google was, you know, it's just like how, you know, if you go to Google Search Console and type in your blog, your link, Google can show you the queries that that content is ranking for, but you didn't probably put them in that keyword. You didn't put them there, or you showed you the keywords that it's ranking for, which you weren't even, you weren't even thinking about keywords when you created that thing. But it's just seeing those signals now tells me, okay, if I, opt- if I optimize that content for short-term leads right now, this is what I need to do. I probably need to create a landing page around this. I need to create a, a lead magnet around X. So that, that way, in my, my long-term goal is I want to build a piece of content that is expert-driven, is, has the right insights, is not targeting keywords. But I still find a way to say, you know what, can I find a balance between what are the other signals I can pull from the tools I have or from the market around me that are very short-term driven? Because I, I mean, I feel like SEO is a very, like in the, in the end, some people argue that it's long-term and I think it is. But more often than not, a lot of the strategies we see and we practice are very short term. And it's not, it's, we all just fall into that trap and you just, just get, you know, I need to rank, I need to get traffic, I need to get this, I need to get that. And we all just get, it's almost like you're going that cycle over and over again. Yeah, absolutely. And it's almost like people forget that like, yeah, it could be amazing to have, you know, the ego boost of having a million visitors on your website and or on a blog all the time, but that doesn't really matter if 99% of those people are never going to actually buy the product. Yeah, like I, I always, I don't know, like it feels like, you know, I saw something on Twitter yesterday. Someone said that a lot of the marketing content out there is just, is, is not, is not worth it. Like they don't read any marketing, like marketing article again. And I don't blame them because like, I feel that's similar about content too. Like I've stopped posting on LinkedIn. Like I've literally reduced posting on LinkedIn recently because it just feels like it feels to me like it's just it's just 
um i mean the very few people are posting things that you're like oh yeah i need to save this i need to use this again everybody's just rehashing the same thing over and over again in different ways and it's all it's fair i mean i guess everyone wants to build a, it's, it's good to build a personal brand and all that but again like you the traffic like so the and that just goes back to the traffic argument it's yeah like everyone says get traffic like well what am i going to do with traffic i mean I've, i have a blog that gets a lot of traffic but the bounce rate is high and so and that was an seo blog i'm like this is your thing like what am i going to do with all that traffic I, i'm going to i'm going to put in my metrics report oh yeah we got we got ten thousand vistas from this piece of content yeah that's good but what matters, what really matters is, does it matter to your audience? Does it resonate? Or is it something they see because you've hacked all the algorithms and then when they land there, they're like, oh no, this is probably written by an amateur, something or this doesn't matter. And they walk away. At that point, you've actually failed. Yeah, I could not agree more. And oftentimes I feel like the companies that are like, you know, it's going back to the, again, like we asking again, going back to all of the fundamentals, focusing first on bottom of funnel content then go up into the middle funnel, really understand and do audience research first before you even start to even think about, you know, optimizing it specifically for SEO. But this kind of goes back into another question that I had kind of going back to something you said before, which is, so as you're going back to kind of managing up and figuring out, you know, what are the signals and the goals that need to be accomplished this quarter or next quarter or within the next year? once you've kind of gotten that kind of buy-in, say that you're, say that quarter is now up, what are some of the, or that month is up or that quarter is up? What are some of the ways that you kind of demonstrate what is and isn't working to your boss? Um, so I think with that, um, hmm, I think the biggest, the biggest thing I do is kind of just lay out something that shows I'm tracking. So I'm tracking a lot of things and tracking what's, what's happening on social with that when that piece of content shared on social, is it getting engagement? Is it getting comments? Like, are we getting what I call soft signals? You know, where someone says, Hey, Hey, like, I loved your case study. Like for me, like those things, they have, they come, they're not as much, they don't come that much as the other signals, but I really, really rate those signals because what they tell me is, that path is what ticking. So, for example, we, we currently revamped our whole case study and it's getting, it's been getting some interesting feedback. So for me, like, okay, that kind of feedback for me, it says to me, you know, dig a bit deeper into this and then start exploring how you can now turn that tension is getting into more relevant results. So which is more like demo requests or leads or whatever, you know, and then the other, then the other, then the other sort of metrics you start to track as the usual metrics, you know, your demand gen metrics. Are you... Are you getting traffic? Are you getting demo requests from that piece of content? Are you get is it referring people to other pieces of content within the piece? Are people landing on the page? Are they bouncing off? You know, um, when people say um, this is why I came to use, this is why I came to user gems, or this is why I bought user gems, so this is why I um, what's the word? This is why I signed up for demo requests. Like, are they mentioning that piece of content in their in their what's it called in their how I found you or going to HubSpot and start saying, oh, can I find any track? Because the HubSpot does a pretty good job of showing you what people have done. And can I, can I find that people came to this piece of content or people are coming to this piece of content over and over again? So all those things, all that data is now split into different forms. Like there's the soft data, which I initially mentioned, there's the hard demand capture, demand generation data, which you now announced to members and say, hey, like this is what's happening within, the, within with what we are doing. 
Um, this is these are the trends we're seeing. Um, going forward, we'll kind, I'll kind of like to explore this path a bit more, you know, and slow down on the other path, you know, which is and which is how which is what has driven our strategy over the past two years plus, which is basically we've kind of morphed and you know tried out a couple of things. Okay, no, this isn't exactly working. You know, let's try something else. You know, let's focus on this kind of content. Uh, so, for example, like right now, we're focusing a lot on expert-led content. And that's because when I, when I joined and I was trying out about SEO and expert-led content, we did find out that the expert-led content was doing much better than the SEO-focused content. So we now focus more on, can we just find folks who are doing this thing and just get some insights from them, speak to them, interview them, and use that for content itself? Yeah, absolutely. Um, shifting gears just a little bit, what is your view on all of the rapid AI advancements that have been happening in the last year? <sighs> I think that AI is, is, is going to be really helpful. But I think AI is helpful when you think of it as helpful. And maybe there's a lot to still, you know, technologies change and all that. But I'll just kind of focus specifically on marketing and stuff. I think when I see people say AI is taking over writers, like I, what I sense is that people tend to assume that the human knowledge is a, is, a, is a limited resource. And, you know, and that's, I feel like that's insulting to human beings. Like human knowledge is limited. Like if you just look at our evolution over the past year, whole centuries and stuff, like the things we've done, it's all because of all the combinations that our brains are doing and, you know, stuff that's going on. And I think that's not going to stop what I think AI could help do is even accelerate that, that knowledge, that knowledge, um, would I say diffusion and osmosis and all that and just exp knowledge explosion. That's what AI probably do, which is why I said, I think when I think of AI as being helpful as an assistant, I think like it's amazing. You know, I use it for a lot of things. I use it for my podcast. I use it for just to even just kind of get some, you know, you have something, you have like an outline. You're like, hey, just spit this out and tell you, Bricks into bits. I love their code. I love Chat GPT's code interpreter. Like, I think that's an amazing tool for someone like me who hates numbers because then it can run the data for me, you know, and then I can now take the insights. But I think that for me right, right now, I think that's what, it, that's what it is. You know, it's not, it's all, it, all it's doing. When I, when I really say, when I really start getting what I say, like scared or something, is when I say, okay, when it's smart enough to do things without, when it's sentient enough to do things without needing the human input. And I'm like, okay, then this shit is now getting scared and all that kind of stuff. But right now, as long as all he's doing is just taking what humans have created and then just trying to make associations and churning out stuff from it or hallucinating from that, then yeah, it, what it is is a really powerful assistant. Like just think of it as a, I think it's the real... The, the, the VAs are virtual assistants, right? If I think that's what the VA means. I think AI is the real virtual assistant. That's what it is. You know, it's, it's, it's super good at that. So that's that's what I, how I say it. Yeah, I love it. I used to think, you know, I mean, I've joked and called it multiple times, like AI is the best intern you'll ever have. <laughs> but I actually think I'm going to adopt it and change it to the person you just said, which is AI is like the best virtual assistant. Yeah, it is the most efficient virtual assistant I've seen. Like, just type the stuff in, it gets it for you. It shortens sh browsing time. Like, you just, there's just so much beautiful things it can help you do. And I'm specifically just saying my use case. I'm a content marketer. And like, so I guess there are tons of use cases I don't know. You know, but just from how it's, 
its brain, and I, I don't know if that's, I should call it a brain, because I think it's just a, a house of data currently, or whatever, but the brain, the brain of data it has, how it works currently for content marketers, I feel like it's the best virtual assistant you can ever get. Absolutely. And how do you think AI is changing content marketing? And what are some of the changes you think might happen, you know, two to three to four years from now? Hmm. Honestly, honestly, to be honest, like, I, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I think about it sometimes and I don't know. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know because I feel like it's changing so fast. And like, I mean, the things we could do with it, I, if you told me I could do those things in 2021, I would say that's a lie. You know, so I feel like I, I don't know, to be honest. Like, that's how I look at it. I'm like, gosh, like this, this machine is moving so fast and anything could happen. It could change in six months. It could collapse. It would fail entirely in the next one month. It could also exponentially change in about the next six months, you know? So to be honest, like how I feel about that is like, I'm just open-minded to, to where it goes. You know, I'm just saying to myself that, you know, you just need to keep playing with this because there's just so much you can do with it, you know, and you just keep playing with it and see how it helps content. But I just don't think that the one thing I'm pretty sure about is that just, I feel it's insulting to human beings to say that AI is going to replace them. It's like, it's really in creative work. I'm like, it's insulting to the human knowledge or how the human knowledge itself works that you say AI is going to replace the human brain the connections that the human brain makes just like for example we can have this conversation and talk about a topic and you go out of that conversation with more neural pathways than you ever thought of just simply because dozier shared his perspective on that conversation you shared your perspective and your brain went on it created a different path that you didn't know existed before that is the beauty of human knowledge i don't know if ai can do that yet i mean because if you still if, you, if all he's doing is just pulling off what dozier and jessica put on the internet for you to pull off or put into his database for you to pull off and I'm like, yeah, we're a more powerful machine. We're just not as fast as it is at this point in time. Yeah, absolutely. And with, you know, rapid AI advancements um, and also just like, you know, everything that you have to do on your day-to-day within your job, how do you carve out time within your schedule to make sure that you are, at the very least, you know, staying up to date on, you know, tools, new tools, new innovations, new techniques, you know, and just up-leveling yourself to make sure that you are, you know, know what's happening. <laughs> you know that answer. I feel like I feel like everyone struggles with it, right? I don't know if you have a you have a formula for this, mm-hmm. but I, I, I feel like I struggle with it too. Honest. Like I just feel like I sometimes like I come across some tools because um, you know, I have I follow a couple of I follow a lot of content marketers and creators and creative people on Twitter, for example, and on LinkedIn. So you know, someone shares a tool, they try it out. If it's a use case I'm thinking about at that point in time, I just either make a book, I just either make a note for it in my Obsidian note, or I just just Google it and leave it leave it open. Then I come back to it at some point. Um, so that's that's basically that's my honest. It's, there's no I don't have a detailed framework for just staying top on top of what's happening. I go on yeah. LinkedIn, I see someone shares a new tactic. I look at it and I'm like, okay, yeah, this tactic like makes a lot of sense. Like shout out to someone like Jess Cook works for last so she's always sharing great content and stuff she's trying out it's so different and so refreshing compared to a lot of the vapid things that people share on content and i just just and i I, i've saved a lot of her content to be honest so i just saved it on linkedin i come back to it whenever i can you know maybe take it and look at it from my own perspective and say how does this apply 
to my wall, to my work, to the content I create and stuff I do. So it's it's more like a at random moments, I'm just, you know, I come across something I think is interesting. I just save it, I store it. Yeah, because I mean, I have two kids, I have a wife, I have family, I have stuff to do, I have a podcast, I have work. And so I'm just, I'm just doing it as best as I can. Yeah, absolutely. Um, sometimes just, just in time learning is sometimes the best way to learn. How do you carve out time between like meetings um, to actually focus in on that deep work, whether that's strategy, executing on actual writing tasks. What um, are some of the processes that you're using today to protect your deep work time? Yeah, I think, so I, I, so I said to myself that I'm hoping that I can change this next year. So if I said to myself that Mondays, Mondays for me, uh, Mondays and Wednesdays are like my meeting days. So like I try to, Converting every meeting to Mondays and Wednesdays. And every meeting probably ends like give or take like two. And then Tuesdays, Thursdays are the days where I just like, you know, how like more like so like from 10, 9 a.m. to like 12, like three, four hours. I spend those three, four hours just working. So if I have something I want to do that is a lot of work or deep work, you know, I kind of try to schedule it for those days, you know, block all meetings out. Close, close every single tab on my computers, hide my phone somewhere, put on Lofi music at some website that plays like this really interesting beats, like no words, just drilling on your head and just work, you know, work for, work for a while, get off my desk, walk around a bit, come back to it, just keep going until I'm done. Um, so I usually prefer to, that's my, that's how I approach it right now. Like just Tuesdays, Thursdays. So no, once I try not to have meetings on those days so that I'm not, you know, how, where you have this unconscious thing when you have a, you have a call, you have to get on a meeting, you have to get on. So your everything you're doing, you you kind of structure it around how the meeting time is set up. So I just take out meetings like this. I just know, okay, you know what does here today? You just, all you want to do today is just walk on stuff you want to work on or you have to work on. Shifting gears a bit. I want to say, I could be wrong on this, but I, we were kind of chatting a little bit offline that you like immigrated to a like new country, Canada, fairly recently. Yeah, yeah. I moved like, I moved 2021, February. So I'm like, I've been, I've been kind of like two years and a couple of months, like two years, six months or so. How, um, how are you working in Canada? Ah, like so I'm, I love it to be honest the weather the weather was a bit the weather was a bit shocking because uh, I came from the tropics I came from Lagos Nigeria where you know the, the, the weather is between 26 27 degrees to like 31 32 33 you know uh, I don't know what that's in I don't know what that's in Fahrenheit offhand but we can check later but I came from the tropics and then moving to Canada where it's cold it's, or it's hot like it was just so it took some adjusting and then there's the cultural nuances the cultural differences that you have to you have to account for you know this there's the fact that there's the food that's a bit different although the good thing is that you have african stores around that you can go buy ingredients to make the kind of food we make back at home but then when you go out to restaurants and stuff um you still have to oh you, know, you get the question like oh do you want do you want your stick, your stick medium or rare or stuff like if I went to 10 restaurants in Nigeria, like most, most, most of the steak would be well done. 
Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah, there's some restaurants that would say, oh, do you want to medium or rare? But if I went to 10 restaurants, at least eight of them or nine of them wouldn't would ask the question to just give me well done steak. You know, we're here like, oh, do you want to rare? Do you want to medium? Or do you want to well done? Or you know, sort of thing. Just so all those little nuances, just, but again, I feel like, again, it's, it's an interesting experience for me and my wife and my, my kid. Um, second kid was born here though, but like, okay, it's just adjusting to a new life and all that comes with it. You know, I say to people that when you immigrate, your brain actually expands because then it kind of has to restart all over again and start learning new things. And just that alone itself is super powerful for you as a person. That's such a good way of putting it. Um, do you think, given the fact of like having so many different new experiences, some good, and I'm sure some more challenging, um, Sorry, how, how have that impacted, like, has that at all even impacted your career and maybe even just ways that you kind of think about solving problems differently? Yeah, I, I, th- I think so. I think so. I think, I think that the beautiful thing about being an immigrant is that if you think about it, you take the things from your own place and you take the things from a new place and mesh them together. And then you, you create this new individual who doesn't exactly fit into both parts, can live in both worlds, but it's not exactly from those worlds because they have two different things talking in their heart, you know, that kind of thing. And I feel like that also shows up in how you view things and how you approach problems. Um, so I think it's a superpower, to be honest. I think being an immigrant is a superpower. It's the bravest thing one can do. Just get up and move to a place you don't know. But then the benefits do, I feel like, yeah, it shows up in how you solve problems, in how you relate with people, in the fact that you're probably be more empathetic because you know what it means to kind of start something new. Um, it also shows up in how bold you are in things, sometimes the risk you take. You know, like I was talking to someone today who was telling me about someone who, who was in Lebanon, was hiding in a rundown building from the bombing. It was during the war. And then the next year he was, he, he was able to move to the States and he was like, Looking around, it was his Walmart, his McDonald's. He's like, he's like, gosh, like two two years ago, I was living in a war zone, and here I am today. Like, I can be anything. No one knows who I can be anything. And you just like, and that's I could I could understand that thing because I just I can imagine the person almost like thinking that you know I'm not so going to see tomorrow, and then here they are today. They are now in the states, fresh start. I don't I don't want to compete with that kind of human being. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Super powerful and so well said. Do you have an example within kind of your own, like the last year or so, where you're able to kind of tackle a challenge head on in a way that kind of caters to your own superpowers? But, you know, a lot of other people would be like, wow, how did you do that? I think, I think so, for example, I think maybe the wildest one I can probably think about is the fact that we left Nigeria in February 2021. I moved to Ottawa in Canada here, Ontario. So that meant that we had to, you know, we sold everything we had. We left with, we shipped like three, three boxes and let, came, came down with like four bags or five bags, me, my kid and the wife. Um, and then six months later, we're like, gosh, this is not working. All right, we don't really like Ottawa that much. I decided to move to Calgary because we had more friends here. And then, so in less than one, so literally it meant that within 12 months, I, I had to get up and move, like, and moving in, so moving from Ottawa to Calgary is, is a four-hour flight or a 37-hour 37 37 hour drive. We had to literally 
again, move everything. All this while, you know, we had a baby. We had that work had to be done. I mean, I, I, did, I did think it did affect me in a way, but when I look back at it right now and the madness we had to go through that period and settle into a new city again, I only think that the reason why we were able to pull that off within 12 months was just simply because of what we had done before. Just having to, the, the fact that we had moved across the Atlantic to come to Canada just made it so easy to move across the country because literally moving from, from Ontario to Alberta is like moving across the country like they are like ontario's east this is calgary's midwest so it's just that moving across a different culture is a different set of people different rules you know we had to do start over again get i get get and um, get a new driver's license get a new place it's just a full i'm just like no dozy like if you hadn't done that experience that the first time you probably wouldn't have been able to pull this off as easily as you just did because felt. i mean i did think it was stressful but it felt like it was just something we could do and we did it. Yeah, I love it. Um, I feel like you always hear about muscle memory when it comes to like fitness or like physical hobbies. But I almost feel like some of that also kind of applies to just like the ability to like, you know, within your mind and being able to do like, if you've already done something hard, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. moved mm-hmm. from one country to another, mm-hmm. then like other moves within the country almost feel like less daunting. Would you agree with that? I think so. I think so. I think so. I think it's a good way to look at it. That like your muscle memory applies to almost everything. So once you've done it the first time, it's easier to do it the second time. Or even if it's not easy to do it the second time, you're more able to just take that step of saying, Yeah, I know this is gonna be hard, but I'll do it. You know, because somehow you feel you you have an example of you doing it and getting it done successfully. So that helps you powers you through to the to the finish line with the new project. Yeah, absolutely. And I could talk about this for hours and hours, but this is only like an hour long podcast. So before we wrap up, um, I always like to ask a couple of lightning round questions. Sure, sure. Um, If you were a tour operator for a day on any niche topic, but it can't be related to SEO, content marketing, marketing in general, what would you give a tour on and why? So like a tour operator, right? uh yeah like a tour operator yes but you can't talk at all about content marketing seo or marketing what would you give a tour on but it can and it can be on any other topic i, I think i'll give a tour on immigration that's what i'll i mean i already have a podcast i'm, I'm i record on that i am passionate about it i'll give it a tour do one on immigration just simply because the human experience again just going back to what i said earlier on the podcast human experience is so nuanced and so there's so many shades of gray. And I feel like sometimes immigration stories are just caught or get caught up in politics and so many useless things. And I'm just like, these people are human beings who have stories, who have, who have rich cultures, who have lives. And just exploring that and just pulling that apart and talking about their past and their present, how they are navigating all those challenges itself is such a beautiful thing to experience if done properly or if told through the right lens. You know, so just for me, like that's one topic I would I can I would talk on from now until the end of days. Yeah, love it. And if you could have dinner with any historical figure, who would you choose? Why? And what's one question you would automatically ask them? Hmm. I mean, I would I would choose Lord Lugard. Um, and I would ask him like. 
why, like, I'll just try to understand how they were thinking when they colonized Africa or Nigeria. And yeah, just, I'll, that's one person I would choose. I just, yeah. I'll choose love them. Just, just so I also get a sense of what they were thinking, just to kind of understand some of the calls they made at that point in time and see what they had in mind when they made those calls. You know, and if they understood that some of the calls, I mean, where some of the, what, what this, where the solos calls, you're going to take them in the long term. Just, just to get an understanding of how they are thinking at that point in time. Yeah. One of the reasons why I love asking that question is that I think I've gotten a different answer 95% of the time. <laughs> and if you could send a message to yourself 15 years in the past, what would you tell yourself knowing what you know now? <sighs> I would say wake up and do what you love. Cause there's really no time. Life is so transient. We spend so much time doing things that we don't love or spend so much time in careers or paths that don't, we're just doing them because of money. Like money is a byproduct. It's important, but most of, more often than not, you make money, more money when you focus on the things you love more than just chasing everything. Yeah. So, and, so. It's, and, and it's not passion. I mean, you know, there's people that say, chase your passion. This is not passion. This is like, Find the things you love to do because when you love to do them, then you can stay in them longer than other people. And that's your advantage. Yeah. So, so, so well said. Like when you love doing something, like it's hard to like want to compete against that because yes. Yeah. If you don't love it as well. Yeah. So exactly. it's been it's been amazing chatting with you on the Remote Work Tribe podcast. Where can listeners find you online? Um, so I have, I have, where they can find me online is they can find me on LinkedIn with my name, Doziane Egunam. I also have this podcast called the Newcomers Podcast, where I just talk about immigration. I interview immigrants and talk about their, we just talk about their story, their journey. Um, it's in Substack. So just got search for the Newcomers Podcast on Substack and you can find it. That's a good place to find and connect with me online. I love it. Thank you again. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Remote Work Drive podcast. Please visit our site, theremoteworkdrive.com, to learn more about remote work trends and insights.